Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all, my, all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In January and February, not long after I announced that I would be leaving Davis UMC this year, I got some questions about what a change in pastors would mean for this church's stance as a reconciling congregation. There were at least a few people who were worried that a new pastor would not be as supportive of the full inclusion of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender persons. Today is Reconciling Sunday, that annual celebration at Davis UMC of this congregation's commitment to be fully inclusive of all people. Those January questions and conversations made me want to give some attention today to this church's very deep roots of inclusiveness. I want to look back a bit to talk a bit about history and the reconciling movement. I'm really not going to talk about this year's general conference and the current state of the denomination, but I hope you'll attend the Adult Contemporary Issues Forum next week. And hopefully some of you attended the forum today. Next week, the Reverend Kristen Stone King will speak about the specific decisions and actions at general conference related to GLBT people in the United Methodist Church. So please do attend. Along with revisiting and exploring our history, I want to really celebrate how important being a reconciling congregation is in this church now at this point in our history. During the sermon time this morning, I'm going to ask you to share with one another why being in a reconciling congregation is important to you. When a few people expressed worry about what a change in pastors would mean for this church's stance as a reconciling congregation, I reassured them in the abstract, speaking generally. But now I can reassure you all very specifically. Your new pastor has demonstrated a commitment to the full inclusion of GLBT people in the church for nearly two decades that I'm familiar with, and it's very possible that his commitment goes back farther than my own knowledge of him. The Reverend Brandon Austin was one of the pastors who co-officiated a Holy Union ceremony for a lesbian couple in Sacramento in January 1999. The Union ceremony for Ellie Charlton and Jean Barnett was a watershed moment in the movement for full inclusion in the church. The Reverend Don Fado, who you heard from just last week, organized and led the event, and I know some of you were there. The 1996 General Conference had added a denominational rule forbidding United Methodist pastors from officiating at ceremonies blessing same-sex relationships. The Holy Union in Sacramento was in part a response to that rule a bold statement on the part of clergy who were committed to the full inclusion and affirmation of same-sex couples and relationships. Formal complaints were filed against those pastors who co-officiated, and a judicial hearing was held. The outcome of the hearing 
was that the charges would not proceed to a trial. So your new pastor was a part of this very important action that demonstrated commitment and a willingness to take risks for the sake of GLBT people in the church. In addition, when Pastor Brandon has served churches that were not reconciling congregations, he has done the work of identifying supportive and interested members within those churches and participating with them in trainings and workshops about how to become a reconciling congregation. Brandon's commitment in this area is deep and long-standing, and he walks his talk. Now, the truth is the folks who expressed concern about the impact of a change in pastors were newcomers to Davis UMC. I think those of you who have a longer history here know that being a reconciling congregation is so much a part of this church's identity that our bishop and our district superintendents absolutely understand that any pastor coming to this church would have to share that conviction and commitment. The movement inviting congregations to adopt the name Reconciling and to state their welcome publicly and explicitly began in 1984, though some groundwork was laid before that. In 1984, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church voted for the first time to add language to the Book of Discipline to state that no self-avowed practicing homosexual shall be ordained or appointed in the United Methodist Church. The morning after the ordination ban was voted in, about a dozen members of the original gay and lesbian advocacy group in the United Methodist Church gathered outside that general conference and passed out brochures to general conference delegates and to visitors inviting their congregations to become reconciling congregations. Within one month of that 1984 general conference, two congregations voted to become reconciling congregations. Those two were Washington Square United Methodist Church in New York City and Wesley United Methodist Church in Fresno, California. You heard that, right? That was Fresno. <laughs> not San Francisco. <laughs> By the end of that year, nine congregations in total had become reconciling congregations. The movement grew slowly but steadily in the early years. In 1994, ten years after those first congregations called themselves reconciling, there were 90 reconciling congregations nationwide. According to our church history, Davis United Methodist Church became a reconciling congregation in 1998. Across the country, 10 other United Methodist congregations became reconciling congregations that same year, bringing the national total at the end of 1998 to 148 congregations. Over the years, I have learned the stories of many congregations who have become reconciling congregations. Davis United Methodist Church navigated their process, your process, very well. There was a long period of discussion and study and learning, which happened in various ways. 
The vote was put to the entire congregation. And that's important because I know of churches where the decision was made unilaterally by a pastor or by the relatively small group that makes up the church council. But this church chose to put this to an all-church vote. The vote was 100 in favor and 6 against becoming a reconciling congregation. Almost everyone who voted against the decision stayed because people of differing opinions understood that they could still be loving Christian community together. And for those who felt they needed to leave, some folks from the church reached out to them to communicate that their love for them continued. Last year, Kelly Wilkerson and I, Kelly mentioned this earlier, um, were staffing the Davis UMC booth at the Davis GLBT Pride Festival. And while we were there, a young woman stopped by to chat for a while. She grew up in a very conservative Christian church. She came out as lesbian as a young adult. And at the point at which we met her, she thought she could never again be part of a church. She and her partner were starting to talk about having kids, and they were very sad because they thought they would not be able to raise their kids to have a church community. Until she saw our table at the festival that day, she had no idea there was such a thing as a Christian church that fully welcomes and affirms GLBT persons. This is in Davis in 2015. Sometimes in the bubble that is Davis, we can actually forget that it is still important to say out loud that we welcome gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. But it is very important. During our pathway session to develop a vision for worship at Davis UMC, folks discussed wanting worship that calls forth a response from us, that asks people to respond in what they think about or by taking some action. And someone suggested that we occasionally might build in an opportunity to respond right into the sermon time itself. So I wanted to try that today. So here is the question I want to pose to you, and I want you to turn to one or two other people and share your answer, and I hope you'll turn to someone who isn't just your spouse or your family member, so if that requires just a bit more effort on your part, I hope you'll do that. Uh, The question is, or the statement I want you to complete is, being in a congregation that fully welcomes Gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people is important to me because. So would you find one or two people to talk to and take just a couple minutes to talk about that? I realize that that is I realize that that is not nearly enough time (laughs) 
Of course, we could take much, much more time for these conversations, but not right now. Uh, so sorry to cut you off. Another story comes from the year when I worked as a hospital chaplain. I no longer remember the full context, but I was a chaplain, so people talked to me about religion and faith. I was having a conversation with a person on staff at the hospital. She was gay, and she was talking about feeling rejected by Christians and by the church. I told her that not all Christians think that way, and that there are churches that are truly welcoming and supportive. She asked me, are you gay? And I said, yes, I am. She said, I thought so. No straight person is going to say I'm welcome in the church. One of the things I have been incredibly moved by in this church is the support of straight people. Your support, the commitment of all the straight people who carry on the work of making this church welcoming and inclusive, your work lifts a burden off of me. This doesn't have to be my job or the job of any GLBT person in this church. Not here. Over and over again, you show me that in the inclusiveness of this church is just as important to you as it is to me, even though one might say it's not in your own self-interest. So, you know why it's important to you. You've been able to share that a bit with each other. But what would you say to the world? What would you say to a coworker or a neighbor to explain why your Christian congregation welcomes all people, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. If you don't know what you would say, I want to challenge you to figure that out. There are so many resources out there these days to help you read and learn and practice what you would say. My two stories illustrate just how important your voices are, to the world out there. Your voices are needed. One piece of talking about GLBT people in the church is looking at scripture. This is a learning curve for many of us, what the various biblical passages say and different ways they are interpreted. I'm not going to get into that this morning. I'm tired of that conversation. And there are many resources you can read. But I wanted to say just a word about scripture. The passage we heard from Galatians this morning is commonly used in conversations about being inclusive and welcoming. It talks about breaking down social categories that people often use to box ourselves or other people in. The second part of the great commandment is also commonly used in conversations about being welcoming and inclusive, the command to love your neighbor. But over and over again, when we talk about why the church is called to fully embrace GLBT people, I have felt drawn to the first part of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus asks us to love God with everything that is in us, with all of who we are. The command to engage one's full self as a seamless whole 
tells me that we cannot ask people to reject parts of themselves while asking them to love and serve God. We cannot ask people to hide parts of themselves while asking them to love and serve God. In other words, to be closeted. I am grateful for this church's deep roots of welcome and affirmation of GLBT people. Your roots will help you grow faithfully in openness and acceptance long into the future. May we convey the love of a God whose love knows no limits. Amen.